Please join me in opening your Bible to Galatians chapter 5. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we have this privilege to study your word, to worship you in the word. Thank you that we've been able to sing praise to your name concerning your faithfulness, your goodness, your love, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the power that comes from you into the lives of those who are your children. Help us this morning that we would surrender our will to yours and to learn from you, even uh, to refresh our minds in those things that you've written. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You probably know that a while back I hurt my back while working out preparing for some Navy training. There were a number of days during that process where I could barely even move, which was not very much fun. So obviously I went to a doctor for some diagnosis. And as is always the case, you have to jump through various hoops in order to get a proper diagnosis. X-rays, MRIs, follow-up appointments, and all those lovely experiences. I'm always anxious to get the report from the MRI, and I read it. Of course, since I have my doctorate, I understand everything that's written in that thing. And Looking up on WebMD, what does this word mean that he... What, what, is, what are they saying about my back? What are they saying about my shoulder? What is, what's wrong with me? Well, then you have follow-up appointments. And so uh, can you imagine walking into a specialist's office and uh, he looks at the images and he reads the report and he explains the problem. Imagine if he then said to you, man, bites to be you. Have a good day. Like, can you imagine if that's how the conversation ended? It would, it would be kind of terrible to, to go somewhere and have someone explain you've got all these problems and then say, good luck. Uh, that would not be what we're looking for. When, when we go into these, we want to, to see the problem. We want to know what is the solution. What is the protocol so I can make some progress? Give me a solution. This is what I need. Well, as we look at Scripture, the Scripture reveals to us our deepest problems and the deepest problems of humanity. But with it, the Scriptures offer the solution. It does not leave us twisting in the wind, wondering what do we do next. It gives us the Scriptures. Before we get to consider the solution to our problem, we must consider the problem. We have an enemy of our souls. This enemy is deceptive. This enemy is corrupt. This enemy is corrosive. This enemy is combative. And this enemy is relentless. Who is this enemy? Do you have an answer in your head? While Satan is all these things, that is not the enemy of which I speak. Much to the chagrin of our society, it is my own sinful flesh that is at war against me. Can you please understand this? Our society wants to tell us that we're basically good and that we'll make good choices and whatever your choices are, are fine, whatever those choices are, 
are fine. God's Word reveals something else. In fact, the Bible describes our nature, our sinful nature, as potentially deceptive in Galatians 6, 3, where it says, If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. The Bible describes our nature as corrupt in Matthew 23, where Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead persons' bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This is about the human spirit. He was talking to a group, specific group of people, but don't, don't sit back and think, well, I'm, you know, I have arrived much further along than they have. Because if you think you're better than the Pharisees, you're exactly like them. Am I correct? Because that's exactly what they did. They spent all their time looking down upon other people as those, my problems are all solved, you're really the one with the problem. The Bible describes our sinful flesh as corrosive. In Ephesians 4.22, we spoke about this this last Wednesday night, where the Bible tells us to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And the word actually has the idea of growing corrupt, so that's corroding. And James also speaks of a corrosiveness of our, of our nature through our tongue, remember? He talks about how, how wicked our tongue is and how it, it's a world of iniquity and it, and it sets on fire the course of nature. It's corrosive in its, um, in its nature. The Bible also describes our nature as combative. In James chapter 4 and verse 1, James writes this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Well, of course, it's problems. It's, it's, it's someone else. It's, it's, you know, I, I'm up against it, and I've been born into the wrong environment, and, and, I, and I don't have all the things, all of my needs met the way that I, that I want them to be. That's not what he says. That's not what God says. He says, Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Your passions are at war within you. And if you're at war within yourself, guess who else you're going to be at war with? Anyone that you encounter that doesn't agree with you. You don't even agree with yourself. How are you going to agree with someone else? The real problems. This is our sinful flesh. Um, the Bible paints a pretty nasty picture of who we are of our own accord. The Bible also describes our flesh, our sinful nature, as relentless. In John, uh, Jeremiah 17.9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? In other words, th- this isn't just, well, I, I sinned at a point in time. The problem is far worse than a, a punctiliar moment of sin. The problem is, I am a sinner. That's the problem. And my sinful flesh is relentlessly contrary to God. You may or may not have heard of the comic strip character Pogo. Some of you have obviously remembered him because you're laughing. He once famously said, We have met the enemy and he is us. We are our own worst enemy. 
Why would I say such a thing? <laughs> On Mother's Day of all things, shouldn't you be saying happy things to the mothers today? We're going to get to the happy things. Don't you worry. We don't leave you with dread. We leave you with solution. So don't fear. However, before you ever get to solution, you must understand the problem. You don't ever seek the solution. You're never remedied by the solution unless we understand the gravity of the problem. And we, folks, are the problem. And Paul makes that utterly clear as he comes to the three-quarter mark, the five-sixth mark in the, the process of communicating this glorious letter, the book of Galatians. He, he's in, we're in Galatians chapter 5. Look, please, beginning at verse 16, right down through verse 21. We already read this as our responsive reading. You may have been sitting there wondering, Mother's Day? Well, happy Mother's Day to you all. <laughs> Galatians 5, 16, the Bible says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We're going to keep reading in just a second, but I want to ask you, before we read any further, is he talking to a group of people that claim Jesus Christ as Lord? Yes, he's talking to a group of people that have, have come into a saving relationship with God. He says, this is what you need to do. This is what I need to do. I need to walk by the Spirit, or else I will gratify the sinful desires of my flesh. But here's the solution. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not, will not gratify the sinful desires of the flesh. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. For if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh, this is our natural man. Why is he talking to them? He's talking about this as a possibility for you. The works of the flesh are evident. What are they? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So this is just a sample. That's just a sample. It is much worse. Just a little taste of what comes out of our natural man. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are not the things that are of God. While our society wants us to believe that man is basically good and his decision-making is right, the Bible reveals that man's nature tends to lead him contrary to God's design and God's standards of right and wrong. Man was designed by God to display his image on the earth. Man was designed to display who God is so that God, who is invisible, would be seen. The standards of Scripture described in the Bible are written to understand how that works out in life. As you read the Bible and you see God saying, hey, this is what my people do, and this is the type of thing my people do not do. As we do those things by God's grace that God has ordained and avoid those things that God has told us not to do, here's what we're doing. We're displaying who God is on the earth. This is the design. Man, in general, chooses a different path. 
And man, very specifically, each one has chosen at one time or another a different path. God knew this. God knew this. In his great love, he has offered to redeem us from our sin. Our sin is any violation of what God has revealed about his will for us. God has offered through his Son to redeem us from our sin and to redeem us from the very nature that runs contrary to God's ways. You hearing that? He doesn't just redeem us from our sin and say, okay, that's all forgiven, and now you have life. That is awesome. That's the good news. That's the gospel. He also redeems us continually from the very nature that is at odds with God and His Word and His way. The context in Galatians 5 is that Christ has freed us to love one another. Christ has freed us to love one another. And He warns in verse 15 that that's not always the way we act. In verse 15 He says, But if you bite and devour one another... Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Our tendency, this is everyone's tendency, is to get our own way. Yes? I want steak. Give me steak. Don't give me, don't give me salad. Give me steak. If I want salad, I don't want steak. Don't give me steak. Give me Salad, you rabbit eaters, you know, whatever you want to do. Like, you have these desires, don't give me something contrary. Our des- tendency is to get our own way and to buck against anything that seeks to counter our getting our own way. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's say I want to have a nice, quiet dinner with my wife. Nothing wrong with that, right? It's perfectly fine to do this. So, all right, we set out. We go to a restaurant. We pick, choose just the right one, usually the one that my wife wants to go to because I really don't care. I can eat this, that, or the anything. I have lots of food desires that can be satisfied at many places. So we choose wherever she wants to go, and we go out. All right, And as chance would have it, as chance would have it, um, we're seated next to a table with a couple who doesn't think that their conversation should remain between... Just the two of them. You've met, these, you've met these people before, right? Like, they don't think that they should just hear their conversation. They think everyone should hear their conversation. Now, they're not talking to you. They don't want you to interact with them. They just don't mind that you hear everything that they say. And so my desire is to have a nice, quiet dinner with my wife. And these people are carrying on a conversation that we can enjoy with them and then a group is seated nearby. And they're, they're happy. They're happy. And they're, they're enjoying themselves. And they're going to have a great time. They're very loud. They're, it's like a, 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 a company party or something. It's all great. Everything's fine. And then somebody nearby in that group has the audacity to order tortilla chips. And they would love for you to enjoy hearing them eat their tortilla chips. So they're all merrily going about their evening, and in this hypothetical situation, I'm sitting there trying to keep it together. Have I told you that I have, you know, I like this, I like that I have this diagnosis. I've, I've diagnosed myself. Misophonia. 
Now, I'll just break it down. Miso means I hate, and phonia means loud noises. I hate loud noises, whether it comes out of your face or your feet or your hands or a clicking pen. I don't like loud noises. I have, I have a phobia, okay? So I, I decided to look up misophonia on WebMD, and I figured I'd share it with you. I think you would enjoy this. Misophonia, also known as selective sound sensitivity syndrome, <laughs> gotta love it, starts with a trigger. It's often an oral sound, the noise of someone, uh, someone makes when they eat, breathe, <laughs> chew, yawn, or whistle. Sometimes a small repetitive motion is the cause. Someone fidgets, jostles you, or wiggles their foot. This is a little extreme. If you have a mild reaction, you might feel anxious, uncomfortable, the urge to flee, <laughs> or disgust. If your response is more severe, the sound in question might cause rage, anger, hatred, panic, fear, emotional distress, and I, my favorite, a desire to kill or stop whatever is making the noise. I just, I was thinking, this person gets me. They love me. So I sent this by text to my wife. And she was like, yeah, nonsense. Thanks a lot. Appreciate the love. Happy Mother's Day. There's a battle taking place within a person like myself that has, I've diagnosed myself, misophonia. My inner man is at turmoil. Why? I had plans for one thing. What is it? Nothing wrong. A quiet dinner with my wife. And this guy over here is just, just bellowing with his conversation. And this person's bellowing with his tortilla chip chewing, and you think, this isn't good. And so my plans are messed up. I can sit there thinking about the rudeness of that person and the lack of manners of that person, or I can see what that situation is revealing about this guy. That's the problem. Not him. Not him. The guy should be quieter. The guy should learn how to chew better, okay? Here's the problem, right here. These kinds of situations, that, that's, that's my little thing, right? You, you've got to extrapolate for your own brain, your own situation, the things that you prize, the things that you want, the areas that you struggle. And, and what we have to start to see, brothers and sisters in Christ, is what these areas that are contrary to the way that we want and the things that we desire and what they reveal about us, what God is showing us, my sinful nature comes out in adverse circumstances. So Jim Berg does us a great favor with a simple illustration of this type of scenario. So I want to just uh, mention to you, he calls it lessons from a teabag. I read this, let's see probably 2005 or 2006, I think, when I first encountered this. We're 10 years later, and it still comes to my mind. That's an effective illustration. Here's what he writes. When we take a tea bag, place it in a teacup, and fill the cup with hot water, the water activates the tea in the bag, unleashing its taste into the water around it. The hot water didn't create the taste. It merely revealed or drew out what was already in the bag. 
adverse circumstances just reveal who you are. Now, that's kind of depressing. It's kind of depressing to think about, listen, you know, I've been saved for X number of years. I'm this old. I should have matured beyond these things. It's depressing to think about the corruption of our own soul being put on display for others to see. But what I can tell you is when we start to understand that that's there, it draws us to a solution, not a solution, but the solution. And God does, in fact, give us solutions. We do not have to walk around as sinful, corrupt, corrosive, deceptive, relentless people. God has given us what we need. The context of our passage in verses 13 through 15 is that we should love one another serving one another in that love. That love is a fulfillment of the law. And then he contrasts it with that word picture of if, you're, if you instead of love one another and serve one another, and you bite and devour one another, be careful. Soon, soon there'll be nothing left. You'll, you'll devour one another to the point of extinction. This is not good. And so he starts to offer us a wonderful solution. In the verses that follow, Paul turns to the ways to lovingly serve one another by telling us how to lovingly serve one another and warning us that there will be opposition from within our own nature. Again, we read verses 17 and 19 to 21 where it talks about this fight. Verse 17, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. You want to walk by the Spirit and the Spirit's going to lead you toward loving service of one another and your flesh says, no! That person doesn't deserve it. That person has mistreated me. That person rubs against me. That's what your spirit, your, your flesh is going to do. It's going to contrast. You'll find your own way to contrast it. Yours will sound different from the next person. That person's will sound different than mine. But our flesh fights against the spirit. Now, so that Paul can make his point strongly and the spirit can make his point strongly, he, he tells us what the the fullness of that outworking of the flesh is. And he starts to describe in verses 19 to 21 where flesh unfiltered leads toward. It leads toward all kinds of sinfulness, all kinds of corruption, all kinds of debauchery. That's what happens. And so he's warning us, don't follow this way. So what, what solution does he offer? All right, ready? The solution God offers us is, what's it say? Himself. The solution God offers us is himself. I want you to ponder that for a moment because that's what he tells us in verse 16. The solution God offers us is himself. This is of great importance. God does not simply offer us some instructions and wash his hands of us. Go and do likewise. That is not what he does. God says, Essentially, I am a God at hand. I want to perform in you what I require of you. Look at what he says here in this passage. It says in verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit in some translations. Walk in hand-in-hand with the Spirit. Or walk empowered by the Spirit, which is probably the better Understanding. Walk empowered 
by the Spirit, in fellowship with the Spirit. Well, what does that really tell us? Well, I want, I want for us, just for the next few minutes, to consider the significance of such a statement. Please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. You're in Galatians, so just the next book over to the right, Ephesians chapter 1. God has told us that at the moment that we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, His Spirit comes to dwell in us. His Spirit comes to dwell in us. It says in Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 13, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the Spirit of, uh, excuse me, with the promised Holy Spirit, who was the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. Just to say it in different terms, at the moment we trusted the gospel, the gospel is, I recognize I'm a sinner, that Jesus died, was condemned with my sin, was judged for my sin, removed my sin, was buried after He died on the cross, and was raised from the dead, so that instead of me being attributed with my sin, by God's grace, through faith in Christ, I have received His righteousness, at the moment I trust God through the gospel, He places His Spirit in me and He says, He seals us, seals us with His Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit. You know what that means? God took out a nice Sharpie, except much better, and He signed His name on you. Mine. Does that bother you? When you trusted Jesus as your Savior, God took possession of you and said, that's mine. That's the glory of of salvation. Is we're no longer our own. We've been bought with a price. What was the price? The precious blood of Jesus Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. It was enough to remove my sin and to give me eternal righteousness. God says, that one is mine. That is incredible. You only sign your name to things that you feel are important. So God sends His Spirit as a signature of His possession, His his ownership of us. So the Spirit indwells us. This is a very good first step. But to understand this even more profitably, we have to understand who it is that dwells within us. Take a look, please, at the book of Acts. Now you're in Ephesians. Head back through Galatians. Head through both the Corinthians. Head through Romans. And you'll find yourself in the book of Acts. If you get to... The Gospel of John, you've gone too far. Acts chapter 5. We have to know something about this Spirit who dwells within the believer who we're told to walk empowered by. In Acts chapter 5, we have this historical citation of Dr. Luke where he writes about a man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife. He says in verse 1 of Acts 5, But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds, and brought only a part of it, and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the, what's it say? Holy Spirit, and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. Verse 4, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? 
And after it was sold, was it not your own or not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to who? God. Who's this person of the Godhead in reference? The Holy Spirit. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit dwelling in the believer, we're talking about God Himself dwelling in the believer. We're talking not about walking with some uh, abstract spiritual thing. We're talking about walking with God, empowered by God. God's solution for our deepest problem is not, hey, do better, try harder, you'll be okay. Here's a, here's a set of rules. Do this, you'll be okay. God says, I have come to offer myself to do this in you. Walk by the Spirit. Now the Bible tells us in the book of Colossians that Christ dwells in the believer. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 6 that God the Father dwells in the believer. And the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 tells us that the Holy Spirit dwells in the believer. So we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all dwelling in the believer. In John 14, however, there's some clarity here. So take a left, next book over, John chapter 14. Some great passages of Scripture here about the significance of walking by the Spirit, being indwelled by the Spirit. John chapter 14 and verse 26, the Bible says, But the Helper, the word is parakletos, it means one who comes alongside, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Look at the next chapter, John 15 and verse 26. But when the Helper, reference to the Spirit, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. Okay, so in both these texts, Jesus is saying, He's just told them, I'm going away. He says, don't be worried. I'm going away. It's to your benefit. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. But also, in addition to not worrying because I'm doing something on your behalf so you can come to heaven and be with God forever, I also will not leave you without help. I will send the Helper, the Holy Spirit, to teach you, to guide you, to help you. He will bear witness to me. He's going to teach us and lead us toward Christ. Now chapter 16, please. John 16 and verse 7. Jesus again is the The speaker, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Look down at verse 13. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine, truth, and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Okay, so we've got all these passages, all these statements. Jesus keeps telling us the same thing in these texts. I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. He's going to come from me. He's going to come from the Father. He's going to testify of me. He's going to teach you of me. He's going to glorify me. Is that clear? Head back to chapter 14 just for a moment. John 14, beginning in verse 15. 
If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, speaking of the Spirit, of course, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells, listen, with you, with you, and will be, what's it say? In you. There's a difference. With you, now in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I, I will come to you. Jesus, I will come to you. I will dwell in you. How? In the Spirit. It says the same thing later on about the Father and I coming and making our dwelling in you. Same thing. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit live inside of the believer in the person of the Holy Spirit because they're one. They're united. So when we're told in Galatians 5.16 to walk in conjunction with, empowered by, in fellowship with the Spirit, we're not talking about some abstract being. We're talking about God Himself. The solution that God offers us to our deepest problems. We are corrupt, and, and that corruption is revealed on the streets. It's revealed in our, in our house. It's revealed at work. We, we find it. If we're all by ourselves, there's no noise. You will find your fleshly, sinful nature revealing itself. You don't need Anyone else to bring forth your fleshly, sinful nature. Monasteries, very good. Nice, I'm glad you tried. But even in a monastery, you can keep your mouth shut for however long and you're still going to find that you are a sinful human. God says, you want a solution to your problem? I'm it. I'm all you have. But better than that, I'm all you need. You need nothing more than me. I created you. I designed you. I designed everything around you. I know how to make it work. God's solution is himself. The Spirit dwells in the believer. The Spirit himself is God. And in the, the person of the Holy Spirit is the person of the Father and the Son in, because of their unity the empowering ministry of the Spirit. I want you to look at another passage, and then we'll head back to Galatians 5, okay? So head back to Galatians, and then go one book further over to Ephesians again. Ephesians chapter 5. I want to talk just for a moment about the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, gives us another way to read Galatians 5.16. It's the same concept different wording, and slightly different description of the results. But it's the same concept, and the results are, in fact, the same. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. The word is to control. Allow the the Spirit to fill you. It means that instead of your will and your way, and your passions driving you, the will, way, and passions of the Spirit direct you. See the difference? Okay, so be filled with the Spirit. What, what happens? It, let, let's suppose, Paul, let's suppose I do this. Let's suppose I, instead of allowing wine to control me, or my own uh, fleshly sinfulness to control me, rather I will let the Spirit control me. What will that look like? That's what he says in verses 19 to 21. Look what he says. 
addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. In other words, God changes the noise of our soul. You have a noisy soul. The things that you think about when you're all by yourself and all the things ratcheting around. When the Spirit's controlling you, there's a song of praise toward God in our heart. Verse 20, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let me ask you a question. Can you submit to one another and devour one another at the same time? You first. I'll eat you first. And when you're done, you can eat me. Deal? You don't make that deal, right? Right, Because then you never get eaten. But he says, submit to one another. You don't start chowing down on someone else while you're in submission to them. And one of the results of the Spirit controlling our lives is there is a, an elevation of my fellow. And you know what else at the same time? There's a suppressing of myself. Which is why at the beginning of Philippians chapter 2, before he tells us to have the mind of Christ, you know that part? He says, listen, consider one another. Consider the interests of others above your own interests. Well, how does that happen? As I surrender my life to the Spirit of God, who is God himself, who can enable me to do what I could never do of my own accord. Listen, I'm keenly aware of all the things I want, aren't you? It's hard to suppress those things. And if someone gets in my way of, of, of attaining what I want, a lot of times they end up like roadkill. But not when we're surrendered to the Spirit. Instead, we defer. And we edify. And we seek to serve one another in love. Head back to Galatians 5 for a second. So when we look at Galatians 5.16, in this very simple phrase, it's simple to say, And it's simple to think about in theory as we sit in church all wired up and excited about Jesus. Walk by the Spirit. Yes! Yes! This is what I want. This is what I need. I I want this to, to control me. Walk by the Spirit until someone crosses me. Walking by the Spirit is thought, word, and deed empowered by God Himself. This is what is available to you. This is what's available to me. God himself. We we try all our lives to get better, right? That's why there are a trillion self-help books at Barnes & Noble. Go, listen, you do this, that, and the other thing. This guide for dummies and that guide for dummies and this guide for idiots and this, you know, you know know all those, those guides. You can get better if you'll just do these things. And we transfer those very same thoughts to a Bible situation. Okay, God doesn't want me to, to, to bite and devour, so you know, I'll do this. Uh, God tells me to love one another, when I, and I see what love looks like in the Bible, so I want to do that thing. Uh, that's, I want to commend you. I, I think you shouldn't bite and devour one another. I think you should, try not, you, know, you should try to love one another. That's all good. But if God is willing, and he is, to do that in you, wouldn't that be better? It's much better. In Him, we can love, by love, serve one another rather than bite and devour one another. God doesn't just tell us what to do. 
He doesn't even offer us wise solutions to our problem. God himself produces the solution inside of us by his own power. How do we experience this solution? How do we experience this solution? It's easy to say and hard to do. Ready? It is utter, total surrender. It means not being captivated by my own expectations. It means planning to go out to the restaurant for a quiet meal with your spouse, and the the noise comes, and you recognize what that is. Inside of me is starting to wind up, get irritable, get tense, get anxious, and want to destroy what is doing what I don't like. And in reality, what it is is an opportunity for me an opportunity for you to say, God, only you can produce peace in this corrupt man. Only you can produce joy when I feel inside of me turmoil. So we all have the thing that brings us to edge. What we need, folks, is an understanding that those things that bring us to that point are an opportunity for the God of the universe to do in us what we can't do And so we temper our expectations and say, God, thank you. Thank you for an opportunity to let you work to make me not mind what this guy is saying and how that guy is chewing. Let me let you be God. And my plans can be different than I had intended, but it's a very sanctifying experience because God starts to break down Another element in my life that is an idol. I want peace and I want quiet and I want this and I want that. God is saying, you don't need that. You have me. I can give you peace, love, and joy in the midst of that trial that you're going through. Do you trust me? Can I do this? And the answer is yes. Total, utter surrender. Let me ask you a question as we conclude. Does the Holy Spirit dwell in you? Does the Holy Spirit dwell in you? You might ask, how would I know? Well, I want to give you four ways. I'm just going to list them. We're not going to exposit them, so don't start panicking. Your expectation was to leave at such and such a time. This is an opportunity to sanctify you. (laughs) I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. Just four ways you can know whether the Spirit dwells in you. First of all, He bears witness in our inner man that we belong to God and that God is our Father. Secondly, he produces an aversion to sinfulness. Secondly, excuse me, thirdly, he produces a desire for righteousness. And finally, he enables us to display righteousness in life. Not all the time. He he could. He's able. But elements where we display that God is active in my life, where righteousness comes forth. If you don't think The Holy Spirit lives in you. I have good news and I have bad news for you. Bad news first. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have Jesus. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. That's the ultimate bad news. If the Spirit doesn't dwell in you and you don't have Jesus which means Jesus doesn't have you, you are still in your sin, 
and the condemnation of God dwells on you when it already has resided on Jesus on your behalf. Okay? So what we're recognizing here is if the Spirit doesn't dwell in me, I have a real problem. I have a real problem. Here's the good news. You can have the Spirit take up permanent residence in you today. God could grant to you His Spirit to live in you forever. How? The Spirit is one of the gracious and glorious gifts that God gives to us when we trust Jesus as our Savior. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The Bible tells you there's no other way given among men, no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here's how you can have the Spirit take up permanent residence in you today and forever. Trust Jesus. That what He did on the cross was enough to pay for your sin forever. That God will never remind you of your sin ever again. He's not going to call you to account one day and say, hey, remember back in 1972 when you said? Hey, remember now in 2016 when you did? Hey, remember that thing you did? God's never going to call you to account for those sinful things. Why? Because he condemned Jesus for those things. He doesn't charge twice. He charges once. Trust Christ. He can take your sin away and give you eternal righteousness, eternal life, and an eternal spirit to dwell in you. That, that, that's the offer that God gives. And so what, what do you do? Turn to Him. Turn away from yourself. Turn away from your way. Recognize your sin and recognize your Savior. Call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. And with that glorious gift will be the Holy Spirit to enable you not to gratify the desires of your flesh. That is the solution. Let's pray together.